tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. (laughs) I'm just talking with the voice in my head here, Nicholas II, about uh, the doom and gloom that we experience in our society these days. Well, today's readings are a good antidote for it. So let's pray and we'll get to it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit that shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Bear protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. And Lord, we, we again, we pray for wisdom and bravery for the Supreme Court, and uh, we pray for an end to abortion, and for the sanctity, the respect for the sanctity of human life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. All right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. There's some pretty tall promises in this first reading from Isaiah, the 29th chapter. Lebanon shall be changed into an orchard, and the orchard be regarded as a forest. The deaf shall hear the words of a book. The eyes of the blind shall see. The lonely will ever find joy in the Lord. The tyrant will be no more, and the arrogant will have gone. All who are alert to do evil will be cut off. Those whose mere words condemn a man who ensnare the... This sounds really good, doesn't it? Um, uh, when his children see the work of my hands in his midst, they shall keep my name holy. They shall reverence the Holy One of Jacob. Those who err in spirit shall acquire understanding. Yeah, it really sounds nice. And then we go to the gospel, Matthew, the ninth chapter. And we see two blind men following Jesus, crying out, Son of David, have pity on us. Son of David. All right. We've got, we've got this, this promise of a messianic age. Um, not so much a Messiah, but a Messianic age. This is an interesting topic, the Messiah. Uh, the, the Jews do not universally believe in a Messiah, but especially Orthodox ones do. Um, uh, the Hasidim believe in a Messiah, especially the Lubavitchers. Um, you know, Judaism is, 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 I think very hard for us to understand as Gentiles, especially as Catholics, because, uh, as Rabbi Lefkowitz said to me, Judaism is not, uh, uh, oh, by the way, a, a woman sent in a letter uh, saying that, that I had said that Jesus was regarded as a tzaddik 
by Jews? I, I don't. If I said that, I was wrong. They do not. Most most Orthodox Jews uh, regard Jesus as a heretic. Some Jews regard him as opening, uh, inviting the Gentiles in, and he's not so bad. But most Jews aren't big on Jesus. No, I said that we Christians would regard, I thought I said we Christians would regard Jesus as the ultimate tzaddik, the ultimate righteous man, because he's the visible image of the invisible God. So I, I just I just thought that I should uh, fix that in case I I spoke, misspoke the other day. Uh, all right. Well, back back to the idea of Messiah. That, that you know, in Judaism, Rabbi Lefkowitz told me, it isn't a theology so much as a practice. There are ways you live your life. The the uh, uh, the laws of kashrut, the kosher laws, you know, the, the halakhic laws are usually called. Uh, halak in Hebrew is the verb meaning to walk. And um, the, the Torah uh, prescribes how one should walk in the world, the 613 laws of the Torah. And, and the Talmud elucidates that, talks about it. Um, so it's a way of life more than it is a, a, a philosophy or a theology. Or as our religion, we got a pope, and the pope says, no, this is how we interpret this. And, you know, we have a, a centralized doctrinal uh, authority in Catholicism. And essentially in, in Christianity, most uh, religious groups do, even if they say they don't. They usually still do. I always talk about the non-denominational denomination. Um, but... Judaism really has a great diversity of opinion. What you see now in Judaism is uh, you see uh, reform, or you see Orthodox Judaism, which is pretty much what Judaism has been since the fall of the temple, and they would say since Moses, but, well, we can discuss that. Then you have conservative Judaism, which gives the difficult laws of, of Kashrut, the old college try. Then you have reform Judaism which really doesn't regard the law as uh, necessary for our times. And then you have uh, Reconstructionist Judaism, which uh, I've heard it described as uh, um, Jewish atheism. In other words, it's a Jewish God they don't believe in. I'm joking, I'm joking. But uh, um, Reconstructionist Judaism is, is extremely uh, liberal. So you got different schools of thought in the time of Christ. You had different schools of thought. You had the Sadducees, you had the Essenes, you had the Pharisees. Those were the three big ones. You also had the Zealots, who were very political. And then you had us come along, the Nazarites, who later came came to be called Christians. So you had all these different um, schools of thought. And then within those schools of thought, you had sub-schools of thought. Among the Pharisees, you had the school of Hillel, which was kind of liberal, the school of Shammai, which was very conservative, and so on. All of these people at the time of Christ talked about Messiah. The Pharisees believed very strongly in Messiah, and I think uh, the Zealots might have believed in Messiah. But um, the word Messiah means the chosen one, the anointed one. That's what it means. Uh, And it's used in Scripture, for instance, to describe Cyrus the Great, uh, the emperor of Persia. Uh, And uh, we... we, uh, uh, when we look at all these things, we get confused, but there were certain messianic uh, expectations, things that when the Messiah came, if you believed in the Messiah, he was going to do. Maimonides uh, uh, talked about uh, uh, the Messiah in his his principles 
of faith. Um, uh, the Messiah would, would be... Um, one of the principles, the 12th principle, is that there's a Messiah. And Maimonides was a great medieval uh, Jewish teacher. So Messiah is pretty much worked into the beliefs of Judaism. So the the um, uh, the idea of Messiah, so what are these messianic expectations? Well, first of all, in Talmud, you see that there's more than one Messiah. Uh, in the Gospel today, we read the... Uh, um, uh, um, uh, the blind man saying, Son of David, have pity on us. The Messiah was the son of David, but there was also the Messiah, son of Joseph. And there was also the Messiah, son of Aaron. There were two or three Messiahs. The Essenes and the authors of the Dead Sea Scrolls spoke about the priestly Messiah, son of Aaron. Uh, the Pharisees spoke about son of Joseph. It gets very confusing. And of course, Elijah would be involved in this messianic process. So what were the messianic expectations? Well, the general expectations of the Messiah, son of David, is that he would bring world peace. Uh, he would defeat the enemies of Israel. He would restore the priesthood, the monarchy, and the temple. Uh, and he would uh, reinstitute um uh, the uh, the man in the desert. There would be a messianic banquet. Now, the son of Joseph, Messiah, son of Joseph, he prepared the way for the glorious son of David. He restored the lost tribes of Israel. That's why he's called uh, Messiah, son of Joseph. Joseph stood in for the northern tribes, which were taken into exile and lost to history. Uh, by the Assyrians. And I remember saying to <laughs> Rabbi Lefkowitz, well, Jesus' name was Yahshua ben Yosef. He said, no, no, it's different, different, different. Uh, Maimonides tried to fine-tune it, and I, I couldn't find Maimonides' list of expectations of the of the Messiah. But um, one of the things would be a strict follower of the law, which, of course, Jews claim Jesus wasn't. We claim, no, he wasn't a follower of the law. He was the fulfillment of the law. But one of the interesting things about the Messiah, um, uh, son of Joseph, is that, that um, he, would, he would cry out to the Lord uh, as he was being killed. That, that the Messiah, son of Joseph, was to die in battle with the enemies of Israel. I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, he was to die in battle fighting the enemies of Israel. And um, he called God his father. Uh, this is kind of interesting. Uh, and he would die on the eve of Passover. These are all things that Jesus did. Now, I remember a story about, um, there was a false messiah in the late Middle Ages, uh, Shabbatai ben Tzvi. Uh, um, uh, the Shabbatai Tzvi was, was uh, he was convinced by a friend that he was the messiah, and he proclaimed himself the messiah. This would have been about, oh, 1600 in Europe. And all of the Jews of Europe just got terribly excited, and they sold their property and prepared to move back to the Holy Land because the messiah had come, and a, a story is told that a a young person rushed into his rabbi's study and he said, Rabbi, the Messiah has returned. The rabbi went to the windows and threw open the, the, the shutters and he looked out and he said, nothing's changed. 
In other words, if the Messiah has come, why is there still war? Why is there suffering? Why is there still illness? Which is a very good question. Why isn't this first reading for this first chapter or this first reading from Isaiah 29 fulfilled? Uh, there's still tyrants. They're still arrogant. They're still uh, the blind are still blind and, and uh, uh, the deaf are still deaf. This rabbi was saying. We believe, oddly enough, in a very Jewish idea about the Messiah, that the Messiah has two comings. These comes as the glorious, or, or rather the suffering servant, son of Joseph, and he will return as the glorious son of David. We just think that the same Jewish fellow, the, the son of Joseph and the, uh, and the uh, son of David, and for good measure he throws in son of Aaron, because our Blessed Mother was from a priestly family, at least in part. She was a kinswoman to Elizabeth, who was a descendant of Aaron. So in the Blessed Mother, the house of David and the house of Aaron were combined. So Jesus Jesus was priest and king. Uh, he was a son of Aaron and he was a son of David. But he was also the suffering servant, the son of Joseph. Remember, Joseph... When you see Joseph or Ephraim or even Manasseh in, in the scriptures, it's standing in for the whole of the north of Israel, all those northern tribes who were taken into uh, exile by the Assyrians. So uh, this is all kind of complicated, I know, but I, th I think it's worth understanding that, that Jesus is, is the fulfillment, but the fulfillment is a veiled fulfillment until the coming of the son of David. Um well, didn't he come already? He, uh, well, very interesting, very interesting. Another little detail that, that uh, there's something very lovely uh, in the tradition about uh, the Messiah at the gates of Rome. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting. The Messiah at the great gates of Rome um, uh, um, is a traditional story about... about uh, 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 the Rabbi Joshua ben Levi, who's meditating near the tomb of, of Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai, and he's visited by the prophet Elijah. And the rabbi asks Elijah, when will the Messiah come? And the, Elijah says, well, go ask him. He's at the gates of Rome. This was written about 250 AD, 200 AD. He's at the gates of Rome, sitting among the poor, the sick, and the wretched. wretched. Like them, he changes the bindings of his wounds. But does so one wound at the time in order to be ready at a moment's notice. Uh, um, so this idea, I, I think when I, when I read this, I thought of St. Lawrence the deacon, who, who when he was asked to bring the treasure of the church to the emperor, uh, brought the poor and the lame and the sick. That at that time, the church had moved headquarters, in a sense, to Rome and was was caring for the poor of Rome. That was one of the things that the Christians were famous for in Rome. So this is one of those messianic expectations that the Messiah is at the gates of Rome, and ultimately the Messiah conquered Rome, uh, which was one of the messianic expectations. The Messiah did restore the temple. He created the temple uh, not made by hands, uh, <clears throat> the church. He did gather in Israel. Uh, people talk about the state of Israel as being the ingathering of Israel. No, no, it's the ingathering, perhaps, of the tribe of Judah. But a Jew is a Judean a tribe of Judah. 
All those lost tribes, well, where were they lost? Among the nations. The church brings in all the nations and thus brings in all of the scattered children of Israel. Uh, um, uh, that that um, uh, ingathering of Israel isn't the state of Israel. It's the church. Uh, and, and uh, well, what about world peace? Every, every time we say Mass, we say, Peace I give you, not as the world gives peace. That we who know the Messiah, even before the coming of the glorious Son of David, we know the peace of the Lord. He has established world peace for those who will accept it. So um, I think that this idea of messianic expectations, uh, the important thing here is, is it's a hidden, there's a, a kind of hidden coming of the Messiah before uh, his coming at the end of the time where every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that this Jesus of Nazareth is Lord. So that's why Matthew says, uh, or rather in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says to the blind men, do you believe I can do this? Because this healing was one of the messianic expectations. In other words, he was asking them, do you think I'm the Messiah? And they said, yes. And he said, let it be done according to your faith. Um, other people would say, Jesus, I want to see a miracle. They said, Jesus, we believe you're the Messiah. So we trust him first, and then he works the miracle. We don't say, if I see a miracle, I'll trust him. But we see him, trust him, and then everything becomes miraculous. I don't know, just some thoughts about messianic expectations, which I think that we, as we prepare for Christmas, we need to remember that Things aren't as they seem. They really are better than they seem because Christ is, in fact, among us. The Messiah, uh, as as Rabbi Joshua Ben Levy said, is at the gates of Rome. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back with uh, letters and open the. We're gonna now. We're gonna open the phones. Don't wait till five minutes to one to call. It doesn't work. Call early. Sit on the phone. I know it's irritating, but we broadcast the show on the phone so you won't miss any tidbits or pearls of wisdom that... <laughs> oh, dear, pearls of wisdom, my eye. At any rate, yes, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. I don't know that we I ever played this at mass. I don't I don't remember it, but uh, it's a Bob Dylan. He played this for John Paul II. Amazing. Okay. Well, why not? Okay. Just hope it wasn't at mass. Well, it's time to discuss more mass hysteria. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. You know, I I was discussing with my classmate Father Branken last night uh, about the the a woman called in yesterday. I think she was from Canada. Was that the call? About why does the priest bow slightly over the blessed sacrament? And it's it's uh, uh, um, uh, uh, from the uh, it's kind of a remnant of the old days when when much of the mass was whispered. I think I shared with you that that uh, there were three tones in the Mass. There was um, audible, semi-audible, and inaudible. 
In other words, you were practically whispering in the third tone, and you, nobody could hear you. We still have a little of that at the Mass. Uh, when the priest says his preparatory prayers uh, for communion, uh, when he uh, uh, washes his hands, the prayer between the, uh, uh, the offering of the bread and wine and the, the washing of the hands, those are silent. Those are quiet. They're supposed to be. Well, why? And I'm talking to Father Branken last night, and he said, uh, uh, he referred to 1 Kings 19.11, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. This is what the Lord said uh, to Elijah. And you get um, the Lord, there's a powerful wind that tears apart rocks, and then there's uh, an earthquake, and the Lord's not in the wind, the Lord's not in the earthquake, the Lord's not in the fire. And after the fire, there came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mount of the cave. The Lord is present in the whisper. You know, I've heard people refer to charismatics as those who think God is deaf. And you go to a lot of meetings, you think so. And I've been to meetings where if it wasn't loud, it wasn't a good meeting. And that's just not true. In my experience as an aging person of Pentecostal spirituality, the most profound moments at prayer meetings were when all of a sudden, it, I, I remember it from a number of places, a number of meetings, that You'd be, you know, jumping up and down in Babylon and Babylonian and praising the Lord and having a grand old time. But then a silence would come over the congregation. And it was people would literally turn around and look at the doors like they do in the Sabbath on, on, on Friday night because it was as if someone had come into the room. You know, all of the shouting, all the jumping up and down, that was us. But when the Holy Spirit genuinely came into a meeting, there was a sovereign silence. And I think that that is how God works in sovereign silence that that to us, Jesus said, are entrusted the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven and mystery. I tell you this constantly. It's not a Greek word that means who done it. The butler did it. No, it, it means a secret. And the whisper of God is is an, is is, I think, a very important reality. And, you know, I, you know, a little bit of the third rail. I, I'm sorry, Father, if I'm insulting you, but, you know, when the priest takes the 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 host before the consecration and he looks out at the congregation, he sort of waves the host around and says, take this all of you and eat of it, for this is my body. What's going on there? When I see a priest do that, I I think he has a fundamental misunderstanding of what the mass is. I really do. Maybe it's arrogant of me, but um, I'm an old guy. <laughs> I've done this for a long time. I used to do ridiculous things like that. But the Lord's been good to me and has pointed things out to me, uh, usually through through some difficult people who tell me I'm an idiot uh, and they have a point, um, that, that the whole, as I've said to you a thousand times, the, the canon of the Mass, the offertory increasingly, but the canon of the Mass absolutely is a prayer addressed to the Father. The you is to the Father. With the exception of the consecration, that in the consecration, the priest says uh, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and giving thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take this all of you. To whom was Jesus speaking? Not to the congregation, not to me, the celebrant. He was speaking to his disciples through them. Yeah, to us. But 
we're still not talking to the congregation. We are, in a sense, reminding the Father of what Jesus did when he had his last supper with his disciples. And for me to take the host and wave it around and and say, you, this is my body given for you, we've missed the point of it. That, that, that the canon is addressed to the Father even when we are talking about the Last Supper. I have a uh, the priest I count as a friend, a um, rather famous priest who I won't mention, but uh, he loves to improvise the canon. Uh, and um, uh, I remember watching on YouTube a, a video of uh, uh, Holy Thursday Mass at which he sat at a big table and he had all sorts of people around him dressed in albs looking looking primitive and Roman and all that sort of thing. And, and he had, they, they'd done a wonderful job on the stage. Uh, I mean, the altar, um, the, there were these columns and it all looked very ancient Roman and purple draperies. And it was gorgeous. It looked like the windows at Marshall fields. It was, it was grand. And, uh, he read a canon that he'd written and it was all about t- explaining the last supper to the people there. And I thought, I can't believe that, that this was even valid as a mass because it simply wasn't addressed to the father. He had no concept that he wasn't talking to the congregation. He was talking to the father. And that that's why I've said to you that, that facing the mass facing the people is fine. If you have a very holy priest and a very holy congregation who don't get distracted by 200 sets of eyes gazing at him, it is so hard not to act. I, I, I told you that last week. I, I did a funeral. First time I'd celebrated Mass with a, a good-sized congregation since I'm retired. And I realized how hard it was not to act, not to entertain. Um, and when I see a priest waving the host around and, and, and looking at all the people saying, take this all of you and eat of it, I just think, oh, that poor guy, he doesn't understand what the Mass is, and it's it's the center, source and center of his life. So, you know, if I'm being insulting, well, meh, I'm old. <laughs> I have the right. But more than that, I just, there's nothing in my life more wonderful than the Mass. And I just think that, that we need to, to really examine the Mass word by word by word. And... Uh, all of these innovations and abuses that we've introduced, they may be introduced for very good reasons, but we're stealing a treasure from people, the treasure of the sacrifice of Calvary uh, and that wonderful conversation with the Father. All right, uh, that said, um, let's go to letters. Okay, where did I put my letters? Where did I put my... Ah, here we go. All right. Um, I got a letter from uh, somebody in Philadelphia. I mentioned about how I don't know. Oh, from Lawrence. Uh, I, 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 I would love it if, if there was a, a, a kind of a, a series of St. Joseph trade schools where a, a young men and young women could go to learn the Catholic life, which includes Mass and the Liturgy of the Hours and social service while at the same time learning a trade, because we are desperate in this country for people who actually know how to do things like weld or fix a sink. Um, we we don't believe in the dignity of, of work, and as Christians, we're supposed to. 
I mean, Jesus, as I shared yesterday, when he came among us, he came as a construction worker, not as a theologian or a philosopher or a, a government worker or an aristocrat. He, he was a, a construction worker. And this letter from I got from Lauren says, um, uh, in her work with homeschoolers, my wife ran a conference that included Harmel Academy of the Trades in Grand Rapids, Michigan, a new Catholic high school that started in 2018. Um, uh, sounds like it's a first. That's Harmel H-A-R-M-E-L, Academy of the Trades in Grand Rapids. I, I'm interested to hear about that, and I pray that it is a, a genuinely Catholic school. What I'm envisioning is something like, you know, Mormons will go off on mission for two years. It'd be kind of fun to have a year of, of well, monasticism for everybody, because, you know, that that ordered way of life is is very much part of the, the church. So, uh, you know, to go off to some place for a year where you lived uh, not a rigorous monastic life. I mean, not everybody's called to be a monk, but lived life around the liturgy, uh, uh, the, the breviary and the, and, and, uh, learning a trade. I think it would, it would really be a blessing. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. All right. Another letter. Let me do another letter. Let me see here. Let's see, which is this one? Um, uh, this is Frank, uh, and I'm just I'm just putting this out because I don't know. Uh, do you know of a download available of the liturgical calendar for an Android cell phone that syncs with the calendar? I would like to access the liturgical calendar with my calendar program on my cell phone. I haven't found one, and I think one will be available. If anybody knows about a liturgical calendar that you can that you can access on your on your smartphone be it android or iphone i would love to know because i i don't know and I, that would be that would be a wonderful thing I, i'm sure it exists i just don't know where it exists uh, until recently i was working with goose quill pens and carrier pigeons as you know okay let's see here um this is from janet uh, November 24th was the memorial for St. Andrew Dunlock and his companions who are martyrs. The gospel says you will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will be destroyed. In other words, you're going to be killed, but not a hair of your head is going to be destroyed. How are these two things reconcilable? Well, nothing is lost to God. As the scripture says, his eye is on the sparrow. Uh, nothing is lost to God. You know, people say, well, where where are the Blessed Mother and... and uh, and Elijah, uh, who were taken physically to heaven, they're the same place you and I are. They're in the mind of God. Uh, I, I've talked about holographic theory, of which I understand absolutely nothing, but it's still interesting. The idea that somehow all of this is a great hologram, and uh, um, it sounds like Plato's world of forms, but to me it sounds more like the idea that God sustains the universe by his word. That... that um, we are so bound to thinking that the laws of physics are superior to the laws of God, um, and they're not. In fact, is the laws of physics are an expression, a material expression of the laws of God. So um, uh, it is quite reconcilable that you may think that that person is dead. They're not dead to the Lord. You may think that the hairs of their head have been destroyed. No, they're not. They're not lost to the Lord. 
Nothing is lost, Lord, not a single tear we shed. All right, all that said, let us go to a break, and we will come back with a word of the day. And uh, uh, I hope you're calling in early, 888-914-9149, what is it? 888-914-9149, there you go. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Oh, yes, what a friend we have in Jesus, except he's he's a believer in tough love, as we're going to see in the word of the day. So let's go to the word of the day. We see in the gospel, do you believe that I can do this? Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and said, let it be done for you according to your faith. Their eyes were opened and Jesus warned them sternly. See that no one knows about this. Now they said, Son of David, have pity on us. In other words, they're saying, Messiah, have pity on us. And uh, he heals them. You know, the blind we see in the first reading, the blind will see and the deaf will hear. Well, he doesn't want them going around saying he's the Messiah. This is called the Messianic secret. If he was the Messiah, why did he want people to say it? Because there were lots of Messiahs. Some would say, I'm the Messiah. And then people would run home, get a sword, kill a Roman soldier, and the streets would run with blood. Jesus did not want to do that. His kingdom was not of this world. But the word that's interesting here is Jesus warned them sternly. That's not exactly what the Greek text says. It uses the word embrimaumai. I've shared this with you in times past, I know, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, when, when the, the, uh, the blind or the leper comes up and says, if you want, you can heal me. And Jesus, the word is, he rebuked him sternly. When was the last time you rebuked someone sternly? The word is embrimaumai. He was furious. It means to snort with anger as a horse. That's what the word means. Uh, let me let me just pull this up just to just to, to it, it means I snort, I express indignant displeasure with someone, I charge sternly. It's it's a, a notion of coercion, spring of displeasure, anger, indignation, antagonism. Why is he yelling at these two poor blind guys that he just healed? He's saying something very strict to they saying, now, I don't want you telling anybody about this. That was, it wasn't, and forsooth of early, I rebuke you saying, do not tell anyone. Don't do no, I don't want you telling anybody about this. And why is that? Because Jesus wasn't who they were expecting. He was what God had sent. You know, one of the reasons that people don't believe in Jesus is because he doesn't live up to their expectations. Forgetting that, well, if he is in fact God, it's our duty to live up to his expectations. They they were looking for the Messiah, and they were looking for their image of the Messiah. Another good example of this is when Jesus, uh, his, his relatives ask him, are you going down to the feast? He says, no. And then he goes down privately. Well, he was lying. No, he wasn't. He was answering the question they were asking. Hey, Jesus, 
Uh, you're going to declare the revolution now, and are we going to get good government jobs? And Jesus said, no, I'm not. I'm not the Messiah you expect. And in our life, too, we, we have these messianic expectations, again with the messianic expectations. We expect Jesus to do it our way. And guess what? I tell you this constantly. God has this problem. He thinks he's God. And he's going to spend most of my life trying to convince me that. So he was furious with these two blind men. He, he, did, not, he did not warn them sternly. Um, he... he 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 had a hissy. <laughs> I guess one can say that. Um, uh, what you're saying, Jesus lost his temper? No, he didn't lose his temper. He applied his temper, which is different. Uh, um, so the word is, uh, the verb is embromaumai. Look it up if you don't believe me. It means to really be angry. Uh, uh, he read them the riot act. All right, let's go to the phones. Hello. Hello. Gina from San Diego, are you with us? Hello, yes, I'm with you. I, I have a question. Good. I heard you say something on air a couple of weeks ago, and I've been wondering if you wouldn't mind elaborating further on it. You were talking or about denying it, I don't know. What? Go on, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. What did I say? <laughs> uh, you also, were talking about what? the difference between, uh, between our God and the Muslim God, and you said ah. our God is love and their God is might. So I just wonder well, if you could explain that. I wonder if I, I did say that. I, I, I don't usually talk about Muslims, but um, the problem is, you know, the three monotheistic religions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, Islam and Judaism, they can't say what God is. In other words, they can say what God is not. Uh, especially in Islam. Now, Judaism kind of waffles on this. It will talk about God as father occasionally. If you say to a devout Muslim, well, God, who is the father of us all, or God was my father, a devout Muslim will walk out on you. Because you can't call it, that's blasphemy to call God father. You can't say what God is. We, we believe we can because we've met him in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. He's the visible image of the invisible God. So a good Jew, as well as a good Muslim, to the best of my knowledge, would not say God is love. Maybe would say God is loving, God loves, but say God is love. A good Jew wouldn't say that, and a Muslim certainly would not. I have heard people discussing Islam who talk about the God of Islam as being will. And our God is being love. That that um, uh, Muhammad uh, really, really took the idea of God's sovereignty um, very absolutely. And and Orthodox Muslims are strict predestinationists. Uh, that they do not believe in in uh, in free will, as I understand it. You know. Um, so uh, does that help a little? Yes, it helps a little. It's kind of a confusing topic, and uh, it is. I was it listening is. to Carol Clark's uh, discussions on Muslims and what they believe and and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, and I always say, well, we have the creed, don't we? Isn't that how we explain who our God is? Uh, I mean, say that again. One of the ways, I guess. You were breaking up a little. You were breaking up a little. Say oh, that one I more time. I, we, we have the creed. Isn't that 
Uh, what is it we can define who God yes. is? Yes, yeah, the, the creed, the creed uh, we define God as relationship in the creed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those are relationships. So, um, yeah, but Islam would never, would never say that. God is completely sovereign. God is completely other. And uh, as I understand uh, from my studies of Islam, that that you can't say that God loves man. We should love God, the Muslims would say. But to say that God loves us or would enter into a covenant with us, that would be demeaning to the, the majesty and sovereignty of God. Uh, and, and so they would never say that. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a different concept of, of God. The word for God, Allah, is just the Arabic word for God. But, uh, you know, to say that we worship the same God, well, the same God hears all human prayers, but the God of the Quran is is really very different than the God of of uh, the Christian scriptures. So, hope that helps a little. It's an interesting topic, and uh, you know we have so much in common with the other monotheistic religions. Uh, I, I think that that's important to remember, too, especially in terms of the moral law. So, all right. Well, thanks for calling and thanks for listening, and I hope that helped. Who have we got now? Pat from New Jersey, what can I do for you? Hi, Father. Um, I have a quick question. I started the mm -hmm. Novena to St. Andrew on the 30th of November, and I forgot to mm -hmm. say it yesterday, and I'm wondering oh. if it's now invalid. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not invalid. I mean, you know, it, it, first of all, it's a private devotion, which still means it's a wonderful devotion. What I would do is I would just uh, do the Novena prayers twice today. Uh, and, and, you know, we keep it an even nine days. And, you know, God is anxious to answer prayer. And, uh, you know, you're not taking it flippantly or lightly. So I would say it, that, that your omission, uh, certainly having, not having been uh, um, uh, a deliberate one would not invalidate the novena at all. Just say just say the novena prayers for yesterday and today. Today, that's would be my suggestion. Does that help? Thank you very much. Yes, it does. God it bless really you. Because I right. know I have to say it till Christmas. Okay. Thank uh -huh. you. Yes. All right. God bless. Thanks for calling. And who have we got now? Paul. Paul. Are you uh, Paul from oh. where in Illinois? I'm in Illinois, yes, Father. Yes, oh, Paul from Illinois, so am I. Well, what can I do for you, Paul? Uh, you know, I, I listen to the Bible at night. Uh, mm -hmm. Acts 23, 21, where the, uh, there's 40-plus Jews that want to take a vow or an oath to kill Paul. Yes, yes. Well, they didn't kill Paul, did they? No, they didn't. What happened to the vow? <laughs> I don't know, X. They vowed not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. It's X 20, what is it, X 21, verse 23? Uh, 23, 21. Oh, I've got it inside out. Let me, let me, I, let, I just want to read it so people, this is part of the Bible people never, never read. It's kind of interesting because his, uh, oh, good is. grief, for some reason. I've been reading over it, I'm like. I can I can keep a vow like that for maybe an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I have a feeling that some of them kept it for about an hour. Some of them kept it for a few days. We don't hear anyone dying. Uh, let's see here, twenty three twenty one, right? Uh, yes, yes. 
this it's very interesting because a relative of Paul's, his nephew, uh, um, uh, comes to to talk to the commander. Let me let me read this. So the centurion took him to. Well, let's see. Uh, um, let me. I got to go back to verse eighteen. Yeah, eight, eight, eighteen starts it. Seventeen. The son of Paul's sister heard about the plot and went into the barracks. This happened in Caesarea Philippi, I believe. And Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So the centurion took him to the commander and said to him, Paul, the prisoner, sent and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside, and asked, What do you need to tell me? And he said, uh, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul to the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of acquiring more information about him. Uh, don't let them persuade you, because more than 40 men are waiting to ambush him. They bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are already now awaiting your consent. Were I one of those uh, 40 people who'd taken a solemn vow to kill Paul as he's being taken to the Sanhedrin, say, well, he wasn't taken to the Sanhedrin, I'm off the hook. <laughs> That's how I would think of it. And a good Jesuit or a good Pharisee would be able to think that way, too. That's my answer. <laughs> does that help? <laughs> yes, it does. I was Father, educated by questions? Jesuits. What? <laughs> you, know, oh, dear. you mentioned Father uh, Branken. How is he doing? He's doing quite well. He's doing quite well. You're a friend of Father Branken's, and uh, I will tell I, I him. I did his uh, pig roast in Saint Odellos for like five years. Oh, the great, the great, the great roasts! Yes. Oh, those were for for <laughs> for what is it? Odello Palooza. Those were great. Those were great fun. Oh, I they were I fun. ate that. I, I will say hello for you. He's he's doing well. Uh, he's doing a lot of art projects and. He's living in the woods with his dog, so he's he's fine. I see him very regularly. So, uh, oh good, uh, he, he's a delight. I will say hello for you, Paul. God bless you, and thanks for calling in. All right, <laughs> that oh, the world is a small place, especially the Catholic ghetto. Who have we got now, dear voice in my head? Julie from Downers Grove, are you with us, Julie? Yes, I am. Good. What can I do? Oh, so I have. I had asked, um, I was wondering about more information about the things that we see at Mass or in churches and kind of the trivia behind things, such as like you were mm -hmm. explaining about yes. the communion rail. Yes, and this is Julie, Julie, who I know from Chesterton. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Thanks for calling yes, in. Yes. Go on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you have a reference or a book, and my daughter pointed out that it should not be called the trivia of the Mass because it's not trivial. So I, yes. I don't know what to search for. Um, the details of the mass. Interesting details. Yeah. Oh, you know, like, I, as, as, as I wrote so you, interesting. Yeah, I wrote you in a note that I, I, I've never seen a book. I just uh, get lost in a wormhole, you know, on the web. And when I was um, in seminary, after I'd finally decided I really had a vocation, which freed up my Friday nights, <laughs> I went down. I would just go down <laughs> to the library and follow a string of research. And and I oh I want to know now if I had the web back then, but uh, um, to look up these histories on the web, um, you can do it. Um, but if anybody knows a book about these different liturgical customs uh, that summarizes them, 
Um, I let me know because because I'd love to know, and and Julie would love to know, and I think all of us would love to know. So, we're Julie and I are putting out a, a, a an APB. Look for a book that explains these things. So, you know, I I just you know I think of a thing. Let's let's think of a thing. Uh, genuflection. Oh, how long? Well, where's that come from? Look up genuflection. Read the Wikipedia article. Read the the, the reference in in the Catholic Encyclopedia, which all of which you can get on the web. That's that's how that's what I do at the moment when I don't know about something. And you got to look at a lot of different ones because if you say just look at one source, you're going to get invariably the prejudice of the people who author it. So, well, there. Thank you for calling in because I was thinking I was supposed to. I was supposed to talk about something today, and I forgot it was about it was about your note. So, well, thank yeah. you, Julie, for calling in and say hello. Say hello to your husband and the girls for me. All right. I will do. Thanks. God bless. The girls go to Chesterton Academy, a wonderful school. Wonderful school. Okay, I think we can do one more. Who have we got on the line? Dear voice in my head. Virginia from Westchester, real quick, we got just a minute. What can I do for you? Okay, Father, uh, if the priest in confession gives you a penance, not the usual five-hour fathers, five Hail Marys, yeah. but something that you have to do, and like yeah. fasting, and you, you feel you can't do it, is it permissible to ask him for a different penance? Oh, it is. It is, yes. It's, it's permissible. Or if for health reasons you couldn't fast, you could modify it, and you could fast by giving up say coffee if you love coffee uh, um, there are different ways to define fast uh, but there's a saying that we were taught in more theology no one gives what he has not got so if you for health reasons cannot fast uh, then you can modify that penance but I, you can certainly ask him for a different penance and explain father I can't do that um, and I don't know any priest who wouldn't cooperate speaking of cooperation well Drew's coming up he's very cooperative